Hey, Real Talk Podcast listeners, this is an episode that's going to absolutely blow your mind. You're going to experience a wide range of emotions from tears to laughter when you hear the stories of Kelly Filardo and Spencer Beach. Both of them at different points in their life sustained horrific burns, but it's what they've done after that has defined them. And I guarantee you'll be inspired. We're also going to touch on a real gut punch on the Canadian media landscape. 5,000 employees laid off by Bell Media. Multiple local newscasts canceled. What does the future of journalism look like in Canada? And talk about a tough look for the Edmonton Oilers. A company owned by Daryl Cates, the team's owner, is taking a nonprofit outreach agency to court over a $5 million promise they say they shouldn't have to pay. Let's get into it. This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. I want to welcome you to this episode of Real Talk. We're going to be discussing another devastating round of layoffs on the Canadian media landscape. Almost 5,000 skilled Canadians lost their jobs yesterday as Bell is absolutely shelling its radio stations, its TV stations, and other media properties, simply saying that they're not financially viable. I guess if you don't know what you're doing, that might be the case. That's why you got to have radio people running radio stations. And of course, Bell, the Let's Talk champions, laying off 5,000 staff members, 4,800 to be exact. You've probably already seen the memes making their way around in the, the realm of dark humor. Bell Let's Cut or Bell Let's Talk, making sure that 5,000 more people will have that mental health support program on its radar. It was a dark day in Canadian media, and of course, it's a dark day for Canadians that have looked to those newscasts for many years to get the stories, to get their community stories covered. We're going to get into that in a moment. Plus, another story out of our home city of Edmonton that nobody really wants to talk about because it involves the Edmonton Oilers and has nothing to do with that 16-game win streak that just ended or their star player, Connor McDavid, winning a million-dollar skills competition at the All-Star Game. No, it's a subsidiary of the Oilers' owner, Daryl Cates, one of his properties suing a homeless agency, an agency that helps people experiencing homelessness and other issues in the community. That's right. They're going to court. The Edmonton Oilers are by way of a Kate subsidiary company with Boyle Street Community Services, and it's getting nasty. Nobody really wants to talk about it because the Oilers are the biggest brand in town. Nobody wants to step up to the Edmonton Oilers, but Boyle Street's doing it, I guess, in a way, because it sounds like they've got no choice. If we don't talk about it on Real Talk, what kind of Real Talk show is this anyway? And then it's Burn Awareness Week, and I am thrilled that two people that I've known for more than a decade have agreed to join us for our Real Talk Roundtable. We're going to introduce you to Spencer Beach and Kelly Filardo, unbelievable folks that have experienced tragedy in their life, a great degree of adversity, but that the way that they have turned that into triumph, their ability to captivate people, both of them public speakers. Kelly has two new books out. I guarantee it'll be a compelling conversation you won't want to miss. When it comes to today's show, it wouldn't be happening without our friends at Rello, and they've got a simple message for those of you that have been working jobs that just don't bring fulfillment anymore. Maybe those of you that are all of a sudden on the job market looking for a new opportunity. Have you ever considered a career in real estate? 
being your own boss, running a thriving business, leaving cubicle life behind. If that sounds pretty good, plus there's that unlimited earning potential angle, real estate might be your perfect match. You can get your career started today by enrolling with Alberta's top real estate school. That's Rello, R-E-L-O. They'll help you study for your exam, get your license, and then the relationship doesn't end. They've got a ton of different resources for you as you get started in real estate. Plus, with Rello, you're studying 100% online on your own schedule, so it's guaranteed to work for you. And it's a great deal for Real Talkers because you heard about it or saw it here on the show. You can save 20% off any Rello course. Just use the promo code REALTALK. That's all one word, REALTALK, when you get started today at Rello.ca. Obviously a tough day. Uh, Johnny, you and I have both worked in corporate media for a lot of years. Yeah, uh, you and I have uh, both worked in radio for a long time. I worked in television as well. And it feels like every time there's a round of layoffs in Canada... Uh, some of them are 60 people, which is no small thing. Some of them are a couple of hundred. And, and then every once in a while, you have a bloodbath like yesterday. 4,800 yeah. people sent packing. We're bound to know a few of them. And yeah. that, that is the case here in Edmonton and B.C. and elsewhere. Yeah, I can't imagine that. Almost 5,000 people all lose their jobs on one day. But it seems like this happens every February uh, since I especially left the radio market a big shout out to Stephen kepler the morning show uh, in Kelowna on move where i was the uh, night guy uh you know out of a job and it's weird that you know i mean some of them have already been sold off i know that company was sold to vista i believe the company is so uh but they didn't end up keeping any of the on-air personalities so a big transition happening but the one that surprised me most was ryan was was all the tv stations ctv yeah i mean those are you know radio stations i'm not going to say they're any less but you know you talk about you know five on-air personalities maybe a producer or two a gm a pd but with a radio with a tv station we're talking about that's a lot of people for especially a news show yeah. that are just just gone. Although right? not as many as it used to be. No, I, I, of course I, not. I remember <laughs> when I you know, I remember when I first started in the business and and uh, it was like in the movies. I yeah. remember when I when I got I called up from the Red Deer Bureau, I got called up to Edmonton to work on that first six o'clock evening newscast and it was yeah. it was just like you see in the movies back in the day. You know, the the two anchors rushing back and forth and and, and you know, they're getting their makeup done and they're kind of barking yeah. orders to, you know, I mean, in a good way, but like, you know, so we need this by six. This is running at yeah. 613. That's got to be done. And the editors are scrambling in the edit suites to put it together. And you'd have a shooter coming in from the, for, you know, and obviously let me clarify, like uh, someone shooting with a camera, you know, the shooter, shooter would, would roll in hot from tape that they just grabbed from a fire or we call it spot news, uh, you know, something that was developing as it spoke. And then the sports guys are all having a laugh in the back, but <laughs> yeah. there, there was a ton of people and a ton of hustle and bustle. And then over the years, it started to change, right? Yeah. The, the, now, technology played a bit of a role, so so fewer people could do more, or you could do more with less you know, people power, so to speak. And so all of a sudden, reporters that would have a, a shooter out with them, all of a sudden were shooting their own stuff. And we yeah. called them videographers. And then all of a sudden, the videographers didn't have editors anymore. Then they were editing their own pieces. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, they were expected to file those pieces into print for the website. Yeah. And then they were supposed to turn that into a TikTok or an Instagram reel or whatever. And, and, and no one's been getting paid anymore. They've just had more and more put on their plate. Yeah. But advertising dollars have been bleeding out of traditional media. Media. Just ask the newspaper business mm -hmm. and, and it's become more and more and more of a struggle. And what's really sucked is that you've got literally thousands of talented professionals across the country that are unemployed and in any industry. That's a tough pill to swallow. Mm -hmm. 
But when you look at these newscasts getting canceled, as an example, in our home city, CTV canceling its noon and its weekend newscasts, they'll still be going at six. Remember, the, the, the morning shows have been canceled. Everything's getting yeah. canceled. Who suffers the most? It's the Canadians. It's the communities that don't get their stories told. Yeah, and even as you're talking about that, I think of like the anchors nowadays. I watch them. I see their right hand on that mouse. Like, yes, th- they run their own teleprompters. Yeah, and like you said, that the, the reporters who go out, they they literally set up an iPhone on a tripod, tape their own sessions, come back, edit them. Yeah, I mean it's it's crazy that you've asked people to do all this more work, and then at the end of the day, you put out a statement like Bell did, which you know, I, I'm thankful my for all the companies that hired and fired me in media, but to put out a statement and say, hey, uh, these radio stations and TV, you know, media is dying. They're no longer viable. But hey, buy them up from us because yeah, we're selling them. Up. It yeah. makes no sense. Well, and nobody buys that they're not viable. Uh, Real Talk is viable. Uh, and I'm not, contr- I'm not comparing Real Talk to a big radio station with 300 not employees, but you find a way to make it work. And we're making it work. And in part, that's because of you, our incredible audience. It's because of our sponsors. It's because of our patrons. It's because we hustle every day to make it happen. But I do not buy and I will not accept that journalism, that storytelling is not viable in Canada. It's not viable if you have a bad business model. It's not viable if you don't know what you're doing. But I think that pulling the connection from communities. Yeah. I mean, there, there have been requirements for these radio stations, TV stations, I think most people understand how the CRTC works and you have a license and with your license you are obligated uh, to produce and to broadcast a certain number of hours of local content every single week and of course you know that these greasy executives are doing everything they can to weasel their way out of those obligations so they can buy more American television shows and sell the advertising they would love to run episodes of The Bachelor and Judge Judy and all the other shows from noon to one and on the weekends when those newscasts were typically running. So, of course, they're going to say it's not a viable business, but I think they need to be held to a higher standard there. It it just seems like an extra kick in the teeth. You know, a couple weeks ago, you have Bell Let's Talk. Then you let go of a couple people and you say, you know, we wish them all well. But at the same time, you say all their jobs are being replaced because, you know, they're basically worthless. It was really bad. I mean, Patterson's still building a media empire like these these things are still viable. Like you said, if you know how to run them and clearly some companies, they don't. They're stretched too thin. They've got their fingers in too many pies. And they say, oh, this pie's only got half a, half a slice left. Let's just get rid of it. But that slice has real humans behind it. I mean, we're talking about almost 5,000 people who are now out of work. Like trying to wrap your mind around that. 4,800 people now hitting the job market. 4,800 people now worried about their mortgages and their mm-hmm. grocery bills. I mean, these are these are real-life people. Friends of ours, Bill Fortier, is a well-known name in Edmonton. He's the Alberta bureau chief for CTV News. Bill and I came up together in Edmonton. I'm Great thinking guy. about him. I'm thinking about Britt Prendergast, who's a real talent. Uh, she's been... Yeah. She's been uh, working uh, weather anchoring for CTV. Her dad, Kevin Prendergast, longtime Oilers scout. Uh, Britt tweeted, I'm grateful I got to be the weekend weather anchor the last year. Today's a sad day for me career-wise. She says the unknown, always terrifying. But I'll make sure after I let my feelings feel... You do that, Britt. She says, I will land on my feet. Thank you for the kind words today. These, those, those are one or two out of mm-hmm. the 4,800 people. BC Premier David Eby spit in pure fire upon receiving the news. Didn't give any benefit of the doubt to the executives involved here. Have a listen to this. Bell and corporations like Bell have overseen the assembly of local media assets that are treasures to local communities. Uh, they bought them up. 
like corporate vampires. They sucked the life out of them, laying off journalists. Uh, they have overseen the encrapification of local news by laying off journalists. And now uh, they say, you know, it's no longer economically viable to run these local radio stations. Uh, it's no longer economically viable to have investigative news. Uh, and they were allowed to do this. Um, the impact on communities in British Columbia of their unrestrained corporate greed, they made almost $3 billion last year, is profound. The fact that they cannot find it possible with all of their MBAs to operate a few local news stations uh, in British Columbia to ensure that people get accurate, impartial, reliable information in an age of disinformation and social media craziness is such a, an abandonment of any idea of corporate responsibility. I uh, find it reprehensible. I think it's appalling. And Bell and other companies like Bell that have done this need to be held accountable uh, for the informa information atmosphere that we find ourselves in today. Um, on behalf of all of the families of the journalists, the, the media outlets, on behalf of all British Columbians that have watched their local news stations slowly turn to garbage by these companies who now say, unsurprisingly, uh, that there's not a lot of support for them, um, I, I just want to say shame on you. Shame on you. And, uh, and I call on the federal government to stop this assembly of media properties that are not actually properties to the local communities they serve. They are an indispensable source of information. Thank you. I remember, uh, you know, it, it doesn't matter how popular your show is. It doesn't matter if your show is sold out or profitable. It doesn't matter how connected you are to community. You're always looking over your shoulder. 100%. You're always waiting for that anvil to fall on you. And now more than ever. And you know what I'm also thinking about is students, literally who have to get up today and are going to broadcasting school, are preparing to get a career in radio or TV, how must they feel today about yeah. the future? Yeah. Like, just scared to death. No kidding. Uh, so, hey, all of this to say, uh, number one, Boy, do we ever appreciate your support of Real Talk. Real Talk's not going anywhere. Uh, but this should be a reminder that we can't take journalism for granted. And, and we ask you, and we often do this, we encourage you to support independent journalism most frequently on this show. We welcome, it's not a mistake, that we oftentimes welcome independent journalists to this program. Because number one, I kind of see that that's where this is all going. And number two, independents are less likely to have circumstances outside of their control control their fate right but if you look at our live chat right now you know Akhet says you know journalism is very fragmented so all the layoffs mean that people go independent with podcasts newsletters tiktok but the drawback is that they don't get institutional support and that's absolutely true and some people will succeed when they launch their own podcasts and some people will find out that it's a grind and it's not easy and your heart's in your throat all the time and it, okay we're just describing ourselves john but in all seriousness it's not easy there's a lot of people and i feel feel for the Brit Prendergast as an example. We'll use her as an example because she's younger and she's at the essentially not the necessarily the launch of her career, but she's in the early phases of her career. You think of the people that are getting laid off that are like 48, 53, 
56 years old. Yeah. Those are the ones where you're going, and it's never too late to start a new career. I know someone's going to say that in the live chat. I guarantee that, and that is true. And you have a ton of potential. If we're talking to you, you go get them. You know what you bring to the table. You're a self-starter. You've got skills and experience, but there is, I can tell you personally, when you're fired or when you're laid off, there's a self-confidence thing that a lot of people will experience. Oh, yeah. Where you go, I've been working in this industry. I've never worked in any other industry. The industry I've been working in appears to be dying on the vine, yep. and I don't know where I'm going to go. I don't know what I'm going to do. you got to recreate yourself. I mean, that's what we did. And I, I, I love that I know some of these people are immediately going to – today, they're planning. I'm going to go independent. I'm going to start up that TikTok. I'm going to start up that podcast. And we welcome them. We want this space to get bigger. Yeah. But it's like you just said, like – there's nothing that compares to coming home and turning on the, the six o'clock or 11 o'clock news and getting all your information straight from a professional who you know and love and are comfortable with. And those faces, man, I'm going to miss them. Yeah. Uh, noob, try again. Uh, says, I feel for those who lost their jobs. He says the statement might take, might take heat. Uh, but this, I was waiting for something much, much more hot, noob. He says, this is why the CBC is still needed. I 100% agree. He says, if we were left, if it were left to private industry, most would run journalism right into the ground. He says, and I'm grateful for all the independence. He's absolutely 100% true. Ken throws a bullseye when he says this is about the ground changing under legacy media's feet, them not understanding how to monetize the changes. They made a fortune when they had captured audiences. Yeah, Johnny and I were talking off air like two, three weeks ago uh, about how, you know, like the newspaper industry in Canada is like blockbuster video. Like it's just unbelievable that there was an industry that had so much captive audience audience and hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue and then just poof just lost it all because it didn't understand where people were going it didn't understand mm -hmm. where technology was going it didn't understand where people were getting their content and it didn't understand how to monetize mm -hmm. what it already had and we're not talking about companies that are broke like bell canada i'm looking at their earnings right not here and yeah they're down but i mean when you're talking about 530 million or 480 million or 380 million. I mean, that to me says you just need to tinker with how you're delivering your content. Maybe you need to, like you said, know your audience better, but instead you're just like, hey, our shareholders, and this is the worst thing about monopolies and conglomerates, they expect more money every year. Yeah. If the money is down one year, there's a problem. But I mean, if you're making hundreds of millions, you know, billions of dollars, I don't I don't see how that's a bad thing. hundred percent. Alberta Girl says the CRTC and the competition bureau should have never allowed Bell to become this large. I mean, keep in mind when you're talking Bell Media, you're not just talking TV and radio stations. I mean, like like my phone. Cellular. Uh, like, you know, they're, they're, they have their hands in so many pots. It's an enormous company. Mm -hmm. And when the shareholders aren't happy, then like you said, problems arise. So. Uh, speaking of the national, speaking of CBC, wanted to let you know that the, the camera, you don't even know this yet. I haven't told you this. The, the national is sending a camera here today. Um, and we're grateful that real talk will be featured tonight on CBC's the national as a case study of a viable independent outlet. I probably wow. should have told you that privately before. You know, would you worn a different <laughs> shirt? my casuals <laughs> today, but <laughs> so we, we look good together. I yeah. think we're doing a little like we're a, doing kind of a little a earthy desert, tones. Uh, yeah. Here. We're doing like the, the, the desert theme. We got the uh, olive green and the tan. 
done going. But uh, yeah, so tonight on CBC, the national, you'll see real talk and we're grateful for that and, and had nothing to do, believe it or not, with Ian Hannah Manson crushing old fashions in here the other night. It was a complete fluke. Um, we're grateful again to say this uh, for your support, friends, and our thoughts are with our friends that lost their jobs yesterday. Uh, obviously a very tough situation. Wanted to touch on another story briefly, and there's not too much we can say about it uh, for, for the most part, because uh, neither party is granting interviews right now. Uh, the Cates group has launched a court battle. The Cates group, of course, as you know, Daryl Cates, the owner of the Edmonton Oilers, OEG. Uh, there's many subsidiary companies, including their land development construction companies, um, and they're head to head in court with Boyle Street Community Services. This uh, per reporting for the CBC by Paige Parsons, who's doing a great job on this story. Uh, long story short, uh, Boyle Street Community Services was operating out of a warehouse. Most people will know in the city of Edmonton, just east of where Rogers Place is right now. So kind of in the heart of downtown, uh, a prime piece of real estate now that Ice District is built. Previously, nobody really thought about it. It nestled among an old casino and a couple of parking lots and a derelict structure, and nobody probably really wanted it that badly until all of a sudden, you know, $2.5 billion of, in, of development permits are issued, and then all of a sudden, those property values start to rise. Well, the Cates Group had wanted the property that Boyle Street Community services was on for a long time yeah and they had made offer after offer after offer and then they finally reached an agreement mm -hmm. uh, you can read the full story at cbc.ca page gets into it uh, these are ba basically uh, facts these are not opinions the fact is is that uh, the Cates group reached an agreement with Boyle Street that would see them stay on until 2023 in that location while they found a new location and raised money they were hoping to raise between eight and 28 million dollars to make a big move to a new facility and to continue the the, the critical support services that they offer we, we, we have we have a housing crisis right now we have an affordability crisis right now we have an opioid crisis right now there's a myriad of issues that i don't think i have to tell you about uh that boyle street has been offering supports for for many many years and it's a very well respected agency in the province of alberta so the Cates Group reaches an agreement with them. They basically make $10 million available, which is pretty great, right? As part of this agreement that the Boyle Street's going to get the hell off that property and find a new spot, the $10 million coming from the Edmonton Oilers Community Foundation, from your 50-50 ticket purchases. So the Boyle Street all of a sudden runs into some issues. The fundraising is taking longer. Their new location's not ready, and they're in a bit of a lurch. Mm -hmm. And so the Cates Group says, by way of Tim Shipton, their spokesperson, VP there, uh, that they had offered them to stay on at a, at, a, at a very much reduced rate. I think they were paying a, a dollar a month at the time for their lease. But here's the rub. There was a $5 million promise from the Cates Group, a $5 million promise that if the Boyle Street couldn't hit its fundraising targets, the Oilers, and when I say the Oilers, I'm talking about the you know, Cates Group subsidiary companies, et cetera, but let's call it what it is. It's the Oilers, uh, would, would make an additional $5 million available. I'm sure that that would come out of the Edmonton Oilers Community Foundation, but I don't know for sure. Again, check out Paige Parsons reporting for all the details. Well, the Cates Group now is reneging on that $5 million, and they're saying that the Boyle Street didn't do enough to fundraise. It didn't basically try hard enough to fundraise, mm. and the $5 million was there as a stopgap if they couldn't hit their fundraising targets. So now they don't want to pay the 5 schmill. And so now the Boyle Street 
quite frankly, is screwed. Uh, that's one of the reasons why we don't know if we've told you this before. If you, if you have your ear to the ground on Edmonton news above us, they're here. They're here. The Boyle Street. Now they're not operating like supervised consumption. There's it's not a shelter above our studio. Do them but they're, they they're managers. They're executives. They have some conferences, some learning things up there. There's some indigenous awareness classes that happen above us. We're meeting a bunch of great new people. But they're here because they're left in the lurch. They're stuck in the middle. And this, all of this. Over a measly $5 million. Mm-hmm. Now, I bet you that the Cates group and everybody involved is banking on the fact that very few people in Edmonton will go on a microphone and criticize them. Have you noticed this? Very <laughs> yeah. few people in Edmonton. Johnny's even getting nervous right now. I'm just kidding. But a lot, very few people in Edmonton want There's to criticize. a lot of advertising dollars out there. A lot of ad dollars. It's a very powerful brand. Mm-hmm. It's the most powerful brand in the city. But this is a tough look. This is a tough look for an organization, a private organization that has the adoration, adulation, and good faith of an entire city, of an entire region. And the spinoff impact of this, the effect of this, and by the way, again, we're talking about money that's raised by Albertans. We're talking about money that's raised by Oilers fans. The Edmonton Oilers Community Foundation, which funds a whole lot of things that work out really well for the Oilers. Let's put it that way. This $5 million, where do you think it's going to make more of an impact? In the pockets of Daryl Cates and that organization or applied to a new build for the Boyle Street Community Services so thousands of people can receive, uh, in many circumstances, the life-saving services that they need? Well, the answer is obvious. $5 million is pocket change to, to Cates, right? This is a very tough look. For the Oilers, it's a very tough look for Daryl Cates and the organization. Now, I know some of you are going to say, hey, one does not become a billionaire without the odd cutthroat move. And I would agree. Uh, Every multimillionaire, every billionaire, I'm sure if we go through their history, 95% of them, there will be one or two people that feel like they were stepped on as that person made their way up to the top. And I also would recognize that there are two sides or more to every story. And I bet you you'd be able to find critics that would say, well, maybe the Boyle Street didn't handle this as well as they could. There was a moment where the messaging from the Boyle Street was trying to bring some heat toward OEG, trying to bring some disdain and turn public opinion against OEG so Boyle Street could stay in that first location for longer. Maybe that rubbed Daryl Cates and his team the wrong way. We don't know. What we do know is that most people will not pay attention to this story or will not want to post it because all they care about and all they're focusing on right now is the Edmonton Oilers winning their first Stanley Cup since 1990. Mm -hmm. And I understand that. I understand that people love their hockey team. I love the Edmonton Oilers. I will be there first in line for the parade if and when they win the Cup this year or any year to follow. But I do hope that a team that makes money hand over fist, uh, an owner that has done so very well in Edmonton and has also done great things for Edmonton, chooses the right move here. You can let us know what you think to talk at ryanjesperson.com. Neither side is making themselves available for interviews as this matter is before the courts, but we will continue to put this story on your radar as details develop.
Spencer Beach and Kelly Filardo are coming up in just one minute. But first, if you don't have plans on Sunday, I want to invite you, if you're anywhere near Edmonton, to come join us at the Cabin Pub and Party on Jasper Avenue. That's right. It's the annual Super Bowl party, and I'm thrilled to be hosting it. You go to thecabinyag.com, and you click on the link to get your Super Bowl tickets. Just $30 gets you in the door, guaranteed seating, a commemorative T-shirt, a free pint of beer, and all-you-can-eat tailgate buffet which was so, so good last year. Plus, you're entered to win in all prizes at every quarter. After every quarter, we're giving away prizes at the end of the game. We're giving away $1,000 cash. It's going to sell out. We'd love to have you there with us at The Cabin. You can get your tickets today at thecabinyeg.com. Our friends at Complete Care Restoration want to remind you that if you find yourself in a tough spot, I'm talking flooded basement, burst pipes, heaven forbid, a fire at your home or your business, or maybe you're trying to do a small renovation, but you opened up your wall and you found asbestos or black mold. Don't mess around with that stuff yourself. Call the professionals, the certified professionals at Complete Care Restoration. They've been doing this for 20 plus years and they treat every property as though it's their own. We've seen them in action and we give them our personal endorsement. You can find them online at completecarerestoration.ca. If you're going to be investing in your property this spring or summer, and that involves a landscape investment, you're going to bring your outdoor space to life. Don't wait another week to reach out to Eden Landscaping. You know, sometimes this planning process takes a while. I've been through it with them. If you're like me, you see something and then you go, but what about this? But what if we did this? You want to take the right amount of time with their team of designers. And then, of course, you want to make sure that all those custom materials you may be ordering are going to be making their way here on time, regardless of supply chain challenges. If you want shovels in the ground this spring, you're not going to want to wait any longer to get in touch with Eden Landscaping. You'll find them online at landscapeedmonton.ca. And our friends at Friesen Brothers want to remind you they've got something great coming up this weekend on the 10th and 11th. Of this month, Friesen Brothers is hosting their vegan feast. That's right, $20 at their South Edmonton location. That's the Rabbit Hill location. 20 bucks, all you can eat at that vegan buffet. The shepherd's pie, the vegan lasagna, the full salad bar. You can get your details online. It's from 4 to 8 p.m. on the 10th and 11th of February. Amazing options at Friesen.com slash vegan. Well, this is a, a real treat to welcome two longtime friends, to the Real Talk studio. Um, I don't know the very first time that I met Spencer Beach or Kelly Filardo, but it was uh, obviously both in the context of your incredible advocacy uh, when it comes to people that have survived a horrific incident in their life, that have sustained a burn, and that have moved on and gone on in their life to do great things. Welcome both of you to the Real Talk studio. Thanks for making time for us today. Well, thank you for having us. Thanks, Ryan. It's uh, Burn Awareness Week, uh, which is the context of our conversation. But but your advocacy, advocacy uh, and your message, this is something uh, that the both of you carry year-round. You have made this your life's work. Well, I've made safety awareness, motivating people, helping them. Yes, it's been become, become my passion. And the reason is, is uh, I was just such a dark place at times. And then about five years into my journey, I took a step and just stopped and reflected when I was depressed and anxious and suicidal and been like, I didn't see this outcome at all. Huh. And hope is such an amazing thing. But sometimes we get so dark that we can't see any hope or any light. 
And that's really where a lot of my passion comes from. Well, I'm grateful that you've both agreed to come here today. And, and, you know, for a lot of people, when you're talking about a traumatic event in their life, people don't want to talk about it. It's the last thing people want to talk about. Both of you, you, you share your story, including the, the horrific parts. How many times a week? I mean, this is something you talk about all the time. Did it take you a while to be able to get to that point, Kelly? Yeah, absolutely. Because there's been lots of times where I thought about my grandma who always said, never brag about yourself. And so sometimes it's really hard for me to share my story because I don't want people to think that I'm bragging. And um, But I realized that the reason we go through things in life is so we can share our stories, so we can help other people to get through them. And I remember when I was uh, 18, it was the first time I ever saw somebody that was burnt because I never knew anybody else that was burnt. And it was there was no I didn't know who who could help me right because there was nobody else out there and now the beautiful thing about the internet is that there's so many people out there that can help you who have been through it and I think that's the beautiful thing about life huh you want to talk about beautiful things happening on the internet you see this green box right here in front of me Spencer that's called the super chat so this is our YouTube live chat and Ken just donated five bucks to the show by way of the super chat to say Spencer is one of the most courageous people I've ever seen what an incredible person what does that mean to you well Ken thank you first of all and uh, we appreciate all donations this week um, but I'm not a courageous person and people they see the outcome of what I've been through as courage but to be honest uh, I would not be here without the support of my wife and my family and my daughter being born when I was in the darkest I am a huge believer that you can't go through life on your own and you need that support around you my courage that you see is the whole community of Edmonton supporting me through this journey because it wasn't me. It was a whole bunch of people helping me. Huh. Well, well that's what courageous people say. Uh, they don't take all the credit. That's kind of how you operate, isn't it? Fair enough. Was your, your wife was pregnant when the accident happened? My wife was uh, four months pregnant with our first child. Wow. Yeah. For people that don't know your story, Spencer, uh, you were on a job site. I was working in the new home industry on the south side of Edmonton. I'm the service guy on a flooring team, and I fix qualified installers' mistakes. And on that day, I was being sent in to remove vinyl flooring with a contact thinner. I was being instructed to use it well beyond what it was meant for. I didn't have any safety training and I felt if I spoke up, I would lose my job. And we're talking about the fear of what people are going through right now with Bell yeah. and the layoffs. You know, you, that's one of the biggest fears in life is losing your job and not being able to support your family. And so I took that feeling, sucked it up and I did the job. But unfortunately, that uh, chemical did ignite. It burnt really hot, 1500 degrees Celsius, which is more than twice the heat of the average house fire. And uh, in 20 seconds, I burnt 90% of my body with third and fourth degree burns. Can you remind me that you, you had the, the, uh, the material, it was a liquid that you were using. And, and was it that the pilot, that the furnace fired up? What was it that actually caused the explosion? It was the furnace came on. I was working in the spring and it was towards the end of the day. So the thermostat lowest temperature was 16 degrees Celsius. And as soon as the thermostat read that the temperature went below 16, the furnace came on, it pulled the fumes of the chemical down to the, the furnace where it ignited them. And that created then the chain reaction with uh, technically I was in an explosion. Were you on the job with other people? There was one other gentleman who had just left. Uh, he was working upstairs, I believe, doing the closet organizers. And he he left two seconds before the fire started. Did you lose consciousness? Never once until they put me out. 
Okay, so who who helped? Was 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 there a fire happened? The place was on fire. Um, well, it was like basically the air ignited. So yes. and the entire room and area is working and just all became engulfed in flames. So, and the flames were so thick that I couldn't see through them. So I didn't see an escape route. So I had to go off of muscle memory and I just tried the doors that were close to me. But because there was so much oxygen required to feed that immense fire really quick, it created a vacuum and sealed the door shut. So in about 20 seconds of panicking and trying to get out, the vacuum finally dissipated enough where I had the strength to open the door. And when I did, I jumped into the garage, which started another fire because that's where all the material was that I had just removed soaked in the same chemical. But the overhead door wasn't installed yet, so I just ran out the garage. There was a whole bunch of tradespeople from their houses there working in. I think about 13 calls went to 911 that day. Okay, so so you come bursting out of this home, and obviously you've sustained a major injury. Mm-hmm. Uh, and 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 then, then people are helping you. The ambulances are there. You're on your way to the hospital, and, 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 and the rest of your life begins at that point. Yes, it was. I always, it's a journey. It's a journey. Yeah. 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 So time in hospital. Um, I was supposed to spend, and there's my passion on burn awareness um, because we're raising funds for burn research. I was supposed to spend three years in the hospital, two years, three at, years, three years. So two years at the university hospital and one year in the Glendale's rebuild, rehabilitating my body. But the skin here on my arm, if you can get a shot of it, this white skin, yeah. it is, I'm the first one in Canada to have it grown. And at the time it was an experimental technology. And they took a chunk of skin from my foot, which wasn't burned, shipped it to a doctor in Cincinnati who had developed this process. And he separated the dermis from the epidermis, chopped them into a million pieces, put them into Petri dishes, grew my skin. And from a few skin cells, every six weeks, I received a chunk of skin about the size of a piece of paper that was my own skin. And now something a lot of people don't know is you can't transplant skin. Like they use it temporarily to cover a severe burn that they take off of deceased people. But you can't transplant it permanently. It has to be your own skin. So this new technology took those two years in the university hospital and shrunk it down to nine months. Wow. And that year at the Glen Rose went down to five months. So I spent 14 months in the hospital, which was less than half the time I was supposed to. Bit of a dumb question. Um, is, is having your own skin uh, used for skin grafts, is that is that a psychological benefit or is there an actual physiological benefit? Like your your body is more likely to take that. I don't know anything yeah. about it. Well, that's why you can't transplant skin is your body won't take other people's skins. I see. But there is, so going to transplant, when people pass away and they donate their organs, part of it is you can donate your skin, but they can only take, it comes from your upper thighs where that uh, is viable skin they can use. So at one time I had a lot of different people's skin on me. It's almost like a silence of the lambs kind of huh. code I had, but I look at it a little bit different. There's all these people that cared enough that after they didn't need their skin, they're willing to donate it and they put it on me, but it was almost like all these people were giving me a hug, helping me find strength and um, stay alive so I could get home to my family. That's an incredible way to look at it. Um, by the way, I wanted to let you know that Ken's topped up another $5 donation here. He says, uh, here's another five for Kelly's brave advocacy. He <laughs> says, what, what an, an, an incredible duo on the show today. I want to let everybody know that the donations that we may receive through our super chat today will obviously be donated uh, to your charity of choice for burn awareness week. We're not going to keep that uh, ourselves. Yeah. Kelly, yours, yours, your incident, what do you call it? Do you, what, some people don't like the word accident. What word do you use? 
I don't. I don't mind the word accident. Yeah, you're actually yeah. you. You were you were a little girl. You were like a toddler. I was. I was two years old, and we lived on a farm in Spruce Grove, and so my cousins were nine and eleven, and they were throwing shingles into the burning barrel because my grandpa had asked them to burn the shingles from the old barn roof. And so I, of course, wanted to be with my cousins. So I went outside to be with my cousins. And um, my cousin, Michael, threw a shingle on the fire and a spark came out and landed on my dress. And then I exploded into flames. And so I've got scarring to 75% of my body, my whole chest, my back, my face, both my arms. I've got a bald spot in the back and then a little bit on my legs. And so I spent four months in the hospital Every two days, they would put me in the operating room for surgeries. And then every two years until I was 20, they would put me in the hospital again for a whole month. And they needed me to grow taller so that I would have more skin to, to work with. So that's why they would do the surgeries every two years. I'm a, I don't know. I, I got a little guy, right? Yeah. And I'm just trying to, I'm just like, as you're talking, I'm like, whoo. And you guys, I mean, you tell your stories like every day. So maybe... I don't know. I guess you're used to it when people, when the average person hears a story like this and tries to process it, I think of a little two-year-old girl um, and yeah. your journey, your your entire childhood um, was, I mean, was many things, I'm sure. Uh, you're an incredible person. Obviously, you were surrounded by people who loved you very much, but you're, you experienced adversity. You're in, you've experienced it your entire life. I still experience it. There's still times where I see people staring at me and wondering what happened. And so you're right, absolutely. It's uh, been a journey throughout my whole life. Um, I'll never forget on Facebook, someone posted a picture of a little girl. She was 18 months old and she was covered in pressure garments. And then they showed pictures of her without her pressure garments on. And I just burst into tears mm. because I knew that that little girl was gonna have to go through my life. And I was devastated because I don't want anybody to have to go through the teasing, the bullying, the surgeries, the pain, you know, all of that. Um, there's times when I haven't gotten jobs because people couldn't look past my scars. Mm. Uh, I didn't have boyfriends, right? Until I was like 18, finally had my first boyfriend. You mm. know, when you're a little girl, that's all you want is to be beautiful and scarless and, and loved. So yeah. it's been an interesting journey. I don't know if I've ever told you about my cousin Stephanie, who experienced a bad burn when she was 18 months old, pulled a, a pot down off the stove. And I remember those, you talk about those pressure garments. And I remember her, her yeah. arm was very badly burned. And, and um, it's just, it's, it's a lifelong journey for people that experience that, that type of thing. Uh, kids, um, did you have kids in school that sought to understand? Did you have the kids that would go to the wall for you that would that would treat you like you deserve to be treated as one of their fellow human beings? I mean, can you take us through that school experience? Yeah, and, and actually it's a story that I've been sharing during Burn Awareness Week. And I remember I was in grade six and there was the bully, right? And every time he saw me, he would say something mean and nasty to me. And I don't remember what he said, but I remember this one day, uh, the bell rang, it was, recess time and we had to go running back into class and I saw him and I I thought to myself oh my god maybe if I run really fast he won't see me and I was wrong he did see me he did say whatever he said but then there was a friend of mine named Todd who was standing behind me and Todd said Kelly or said to the guy quit picking on Kelly mm -hmm. enough right if you're going to pick on somebody pick on somebody your own size and so he stopped bullying me after that. And it was so nice to have somebody stand up for me because, you know, a lot of times when you're different, 
you feel like you're all alone and that there's nobody like you and there's nobody that's going to understand or help you. So mm. uh, I want to thank uh, Brian and Justin, who have also just donated by way of the super chat. Your story is obviously resonating uh, with people. The journey, uh, obviously, so very multifaceted. Um, and, and I wouldn't even pretend to understand all of the angles of it, aside from the, the physical trauma uh, and the psychological impacts of all of this. I mean, so how do you begin this journey? You're in the hospital and, and you, you know, you, you touched on it yourself. You said you're experiencing thoughts of suicide. You, you just you can't see yourself moving forward at that point. How, can you talk to us about those dark days and, and ultimately um, what it was that, that gave you the, the strength and the perspective to be able to carry on? And that's where I think Kelly and I go in this week. We're speaking. We spoke to over 3000 students in seven different schools in Edmonton. Wow. But we have um, similar stories. We were both severely injured, but come from different points of view. So Kelly grew up always being burned. I had my entire identity changed when I was 29 and uh, to the point where I wasn't allowed to see myself for six months. And when I did finally see myself, believe me, it was really hard to take it all in and absorb all the changes. But yeah, that journey, I really, when you had Britt Pendergast's tweet on. We were just talking about her. Yeah. yeah and she said, I, I'm first I'm going to um, let my feelings feel. Mm. I am such a big believer in that because we're, I believe that we're all going to have hard days, right? I call them bad days. And we have so many bad days, we can't even remember what they are. But when you do have a bad day, you need to first feel it. Because if you don't, if you lock away your feelings, it ends up actually compounding itself and making things worse because it's like filling up a balloon full of energy. If you don't let the energy out, the balloon eventually explodes. And I call those anger explosions. And that's where I was at. I was in this point where I was at so much energy being fed into me that was negative. It was filling up my, my emotional balloon and it got to the point where it couldn't hold it anymore. And that's where the deep depression and anxiety and ultimately not being able to see hope and wanting to end it all. Yeah. That's where it all came from was um, just not knowing how to emote those feelings. But again, it's a journey, right? So you need to be able to take things one step at a time and be able to learn how to release it, learn how to see hope, learn how to find light. One of the biggest things I tell people though is there's not a problem in this world where time is not part of the solution. Mm. So no one's going through more than you at this point, but I'm thinking of your wife as well. She's four months pregnant. Her husband's, I don't know if I say clinging to life in hospital, but in, a, in about as serious of a situation as it gets, right? Uh, I, I mean, you, you, you obviously could have been killed, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, and, then, and then she's a young mom without, and, and you can't support her and you're aware that you have a beautiful new arrival, but you can't hold your child. And I mean, that must've been a very, very difficult time for the entire family. It was so hard. Um, actually, people, they're like, do you ever have, any, ever have any regrets? And honestly, I would go through the fire again. If what? you could, If you could send me back in time and give me a do-over that day so I could change everything, I wouldn't accept it provided I had this outcome. I want to be the person I am now because I find the fire released me to being who Spencer should be. But there were those dark days, and I understand what I'm saying. I would go through those days again. But when it comes down to it, I really do feel that um, my wife had it harder than I'd had. And the reason being is when I was in the hospital, I was completely immobile, severely underweight, heavily medicated in this dark, dark place, having nurses and doctors and everyone tend to my every need. But my wife, she had her life and then she had the life of this little baby inside of her growing. And then when I got hurt, I literally took all my duties and responsibilities and I dumped them on her shoulders. So she also had my life to deal with as well. 
And eventually it did catch up with her. She, uh, about five years into our story, um, she hit severe depression. And that's one that I've come to realize when I mentor other people is that when you get injured, doesn't matter what the injury is, you have a severe injury or diagnosis or illness, two people go through that journey and they'll heal at different, different times. And we have to be prepared for that. Huh. I want to thank Quinn uh, for their donation on our super chat. Quinn donates $60 and says, I don't know what to say. I just want to help. No, um, and I think that that is such a beautiful sentiment. Uh, I bet there's a lot of people that don't know what to say, right? What do you say to somebody that's experienced something that, that changes the way that they look, that impacts their psychology, that impacts their life moving forward? Um, did, was it difficult for you to ultimately... You know, you, 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 you grow into this beautiful woman. By the way, I wanted to read this. Uh, where was this wonderful comment from somebody that said, uh, they basically said, let me find it. Someone said, you are, they said, Kelly, you are the beautiful yellow rose among the bouquet of red ones. Something like that. I can't find the full comment. I wanted to do it justice, but Aww, somebody basically just said, you're absolutely beautiful. How long did it take you, uh, Kelly, to, to realize that? I mean, I, I, that's just unbelievable to hear Spencer say that if he if he had the guaranteed outcome of this knowing that the, the power that your public speaking has the impact you're making on thousands of people that you wouldn't go back and change it I mean that's a really remarkable perspective uh, at what point did you go hey I think I'm I think I'm going to make this my life I'm going to be writing books I'm going to be inspiring kids I like because because it's one thing to survive this yeah. it's another to turn it into your life's mission yeah, exactly. And you know, it's interesting because I actually believe that I was being shown to be a speaker when I was about 14 years old and I was in 4-H. And we had horses at the time. And in, when you're in 4-H, you have to do a public speech. And so I actually won the competition when I was like 14 years old. So I didn't realize it back then, but I realized it as an adult that I was being shown that I should be a speaker when I was like 14 years old and won my first competition. Um, but one of, the, one of the things that I realized is that we need to share our stories. We need to. I mean, this is the reason we need to go through our life is to learn how we can help other people. And that's one of the reasons that, you know, I love what we're doing with Burn Awareness Week. And it's, it's one of the reasons that I love that, that um, Spencer and I do this together because he got burnt as an adult. So he had to go through that identity change, whereas I didn't know what I, I didn't know what I looked like. Mm. Like there's only like 10 pictures of me before I got burnt as a two-year-old. And so I always wondered what would I look like without scars? Mm. And so I remember when I got pregnant for the first time, I, um, I was hoping I would have a daughter so that I might know what I would look like without Oof. scars. And so that was so powerful for me is like, what would I look like without scars? Hmm. Do you have a daughter? I do, <laughs> I do. I, I have a daughter, she's 24 yeah. and she's gorgeous. Um, and then I had a second baby and I lost her at uh, 28 weeks. I'm sorry. And um, then I had a set of twin boys. Hmm. And so the interesting thing too about me being pregnant was that they were worried about two things. So one was, would my scars stretch enough that you know, we could have the babies, right? And at the very end of it, my scars were so tight that they were starting to split. And they were like tiny little taper, paper cuts. And so I was starting to bleed. Um, and then the other thing that, um, that happened with my first daughter is that we didn't know, because um, like I'm missing a nipple and the other one is just a tiny little one. We didn't know if it would actually produce milk. And it did. 
But um, of course, I didn't breastfeed because I, you know, missing a nipple. But um, that was just we were just curious about that. Like, what's going to happen when I have these this baby hmm. right? all these things that the average person wouldn't think of yeah I mean, you just, don't it, think it impacts about every single stuff. part of your life hey before we go any further people that are watching on youtube will see this this unicorn stuffy on the table and i have i should have asked first off well what's the unicorn all about well we were so fortunate that pet Smart did a fundraiser and you could go and you could buy a teddy bear for six dollars and then it got donated to the Edmonton Firefighters Burn Treatment Society. And so what we did is we actually gave some teddy bears out to some of the kids that we spoke to this week. Oh, just, wonderful. Just 1,200 teddy bears. Just 1,200. Just 1,200, <laughs> yeah. We had to count them. Yeah. Are, are they still for sale? Would you like us to promote this? Or is that something that we I can help with? I don't know if they're selling or? them anymore. No. Okay, they're all sold out. Oh, well, that's great. They'll Should... run it again, though. PetSmart runs it every year. Cool. Well, you let yeah. us know, and we'll, we'll put it out on our socials. And, and obviously, you can tell this audience is the best audience in the world. They are There's the no best audience. That's why we're here um, with you. Did your cousin uh, experience feelings of guilt? I mean, no one can control where a spark goes out of the fire. It was never done out of malice, but I would imagine that your cousin had stuff to deal with. Yeah, absolutely. There was a lot of um, guilt in my family about it. Um, it was the taboo topic. Nobody was talking about how I got burnt or what happened because my, my grandpa blamed himself because he's the one that told my cousin to do it. Sure. My mom, she was 21 years old at the time, pregnant. And she blamed herself because she was going to keep me inside to change my diaper, but then decided not to. And then I got burnt. Um, of course, my two cousins, my one cousin, he was upset. He was like, why didn't it land on me? Oh. And then my cousin that uh, threw the single in the fire, he was absolutely full of guilt. In fact, I remember being 16 or 17 and talking to him about it. And he kept saying, I don't remember it. But yeah, I've he had tremendous guilt over it. He never forgave himself. Nobody in my family ever forgave themselves. And I never blamed him. Like that was the thing. I talked to my one cousin about it. I said, did you ever feel like I blamed you for me getting burnt? And he said, no, absolutely not. I never, ever felt like you blamed us because it was not their fault. I really believed that it was my destiny to get burnt. And um, my grandma told, told me a story about how she, when I was born, she always believed something was going to happen to me. She didn't know what. Really? The day I got, she always felt she was going to run over me. So she never let my, she never backed the car out of the garage. She always made my grandpa She do had it. like a premonition. Yeah. She had a premonition that I was going to get, something was going to happen to me. And the, the day I got burnt, the feeling went away. But but look at both of you sitting around this table saying the same thing that you 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 feel like this was your destiny. I mean, that, that I, I would imagine you didn't feel that when you were thirteen. Exactly, and and I, I'm glad you brought that up because when I was a child, if you would have asked me, "Do you want to do this again?" I would have said, "Absolutely not," because I just wanted to be the pretty girl. I wanted to be, you know, have kids and be married and have a boyfriend, and that never happened in school. But if you were to ask me now as an adult. Then I would say absolutely. I would go through it again because I believe that this is my purpose in life. This is from Tracy, who says, "I bought that exact unicorn at PetSmart at Christmas. I didn't even know what the proceeds were for." She says that is so cool. I love that. This is from Leanne, who says, "Love, light, and goosebumps are in full force." She says, "You both are love, light, and peace. You both have come on a special day." Uh, thank you. Uh, she says, love from Ontario. Leanne watching from Ontario today. Good morning to you. Uh, almost good afternoon in Ontario. Do you have the same friends now that you had two weeks before the accident, Spencer? No. 
No, it's um part of the journey as well as well as your friends, your, especially your close friends. They get scarred the deepest and they all go through their own healing point. But nothing happened too is my life was paused for 14 months and their lives continued on. So when I got out of the hospital, we were in completely different places as well. And then I was healing for another two and a half, three and a half years where I really couldn't even take the time. But there was a long time. I didn't believe anyone. I could ever never make a friend again. Like who'd want to be friends with the guy who has no ears and severely scarred everywhere and has all these handicaps and disabilities. And like, then just to be my friend means you have to like step up and help me with things. Right. But I've come to realize that that was all in my head. I actually have a very robust amount of friends and we have really, um, we've built the relationships off of what relationships should be built off. So we have strong, strong foundations in our relationships. And uh, yeah, that's, that's the beauty in life is people, they see beyond the scars so quick. I want to talk to you about, I know that a lot of your advocacy is around workplace safety uh, for obvious reasons. Um, I don't know if I ever told you, we lost a friend. Um, I was better friends with his mom than him. Uh, the tragedy, well, it's, it's obviously tragic no matter what, but he's such a young man. He was killed two weeks after he got married. Young guy by the name of Jordan Thiessen in a workplace accident just east of Edmonton. Um, and uh, and I know that, of course, whenever someone's family or, or a loved one is taken in a workplace, seriously injured in a workplace accident, the whole family is on a mission uh, when it comes to workplace safety. And until that's on your radar, you don't really realize how many people are working in very unsafe circumstances. You know, a block from our house a few years ago, a guy, a day laborer, they hired him from an agency, was there with no training, I'm sure, no proper supports on an excavation site, and it collapsed on him. He was killed right by our house. And I remember just looking at that and thinking, that poor guy, he showed up to do some of the toughest work there is, you know, shoveling down in a trench. Uh, but his employer did not put the, the resources, uh, physical and otherwise, in place to make sure that his life was protected. And ultimately, his life was lost. When you assess the landscape of how and where Canadians are working, how and where they're trained, uh, et cetera, et cetera, how do you assess the state of workplace safety right now in Canada or in our home province of Alberta? I actually have a really positive view of it. Oh, good. Um, because the people that hire me do believe in safety. And I'm what I do is I come in and I help connect the workers' behaviors to the company's safety systems and even improve those systems even further so people believe in them and want to use them. But there are definitely industries that are still in the growing processes and the growing pains of getting into safety. And uh, the, so the biggest industries like oil and gas and mining, uh, forestry, commercial, industrial building, um, I've been in nuclear facilities, manufacturing facilities. I've done pretty much any um, occupation you can name it other than NASA. I haven't been to space yet. Not but, yet. <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, there is the, safety is a growing and robust field because there are a lot of dedicated employers. Unfortunately, though, when incidents do happen, we get to see them in the public and that can easily blind out all the good that the employees have done. But the safety gains made over the last uh, 50 decades since OSHA has been implemented are tremendous. They've um, dropped our incidents and fatality rates um, by more than 50%. What's OSHA? Occupational safety? Occupational health and safety. Health and safety. Yeah. Got it. And, um, uh, yeah. Hey, listen to this. Uh, I love this comment here in our chat. Um, is, is it Cilios? Uh, says, uh, both of these guests are exactly the sort of people I want as friends uh, in so many ways. Uh, I think that's a pretty great comment. Um, I take a look at my son, eight years old, and him and his little buddies just are captivated by campfire. Mm. They just, you know, there's a fire burning when we're, we love off-roading as a family. We love camping. Um, and of course, 
when a, a little boy or girl is seven or eight or nine or 10 years old and they're old enough that their parents will let them put that first log on the fire for the very first time, uh, it's kind of an empowering feeling for a little one, isn't it? Um, and kids have this fascination with fire. Do you speak directly to it in your presentation to kids? Yeah, absolutely. We talk about it in all of our presentations to the kids. And, um, you know, people were asking us if we're afraid of fire. And Spencer and I both say that we're not afraid of fire. What we're afraid of is kids playing around the fire. And so you do not want to put like a kid does not want to put wood in the fire around me because I will go irate. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do. And and it's because I don't want anybody to have to go through what I'm doing and because burns are preventable. And, you know, we even talk about the, the gas stove. Um, you know, people want gas stoves in their houses now. And I absolutely despise a gas stove. Um, you really? Know, we had an incident in our house where, you know, a lady left the stove on and left the house and it was a gas stove. And it's just way too easy for people to get burnt. What, uh, what stove do you recommend to people? Anything but gas. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I didn't know if there was like a particular no, one. <laughs> anything but gas. I hate gas stoves. I see. My right? understanding is I don't know too much, so I don't want to talk about it because someone will say, well, I heard it on Real Talk and I don't know if it's... But my understanding yeah. is that there's some safety advancements coming with some stoves now where, where the minute that you turn them off, they cool right back to room temperature. Yeah, but even uh, like kid goes like this. Totally. They put their fingers there and there's flames there. Oh, uh, yeah. Like I mean, our little Noah, he's just learning to walk. Um, and, and, and I'm just trying to keep him out of the kitchen because I mean, uh, you know, I looked and, and parents, like you said, like your mom, your poor mom that goes, Oh, I should change your diaper. I'll put her outside. And then all of a sudden, five minutes later, all hell breaks loose. Uh, you know, I yeah. think of little Noah and he's walked into the kitchen, you know, he's put his little hands on the, on the oven. It wasn't turned on, but he put his hands on the, but yeah. he's looking up, he's just walking. That's all at his level. And you don't think of these things you know, as you're baby proofing your home. I mean, if, if there's any vulnerability from a safety standpoint, your kid will find it. The kid is the, the kitchen is the most dangerous place for, for a sure. Kid. Um, I don't see I see the stove as a fire hazard and you can't convince me otherwise. <laughs> um, you know, we know even people with microwave, you know, they people put microwaves above the stove and then they open the, the microwave door to pull their soup out or their hot soup and then it pours on them and they get a burn down their chest. So it's just too easy to get burnt in, mm -hmm. in the kitchen. Um, Garth, I want to thank him for his donation uh, on the super chat. Of course, we'll be applying that to the, to these two's charity of choice. Uh, he says, ask Spencer, please, to speak on the right and obligation to reject unsafe work. Before I do, and I'd love to speak on that, um, Kelly said it's too easy to get burned. I want you to consider this. Have you ever been burned, Ryan? I mean, not seriously. No, but everybody will experience a burn. Yeah. Whether it's a thermal burn or a sunburn um, or any other type of burn you can get, we all experience burns. They're 100% everyone will have them, which is one reason why we are such big advocates on Burn Awareness Week. But the right to refuse unsafe work. Um, what I've found is I had this feeling that if I would have said something to my boss, I would have lost my job. Looking back at it retrospect, um, there was many times I went into a job and it wasn't ready for me. And every time it wasn't ready, I did the exact same thing. I grabbed the phone. I called my boss, told him what was happening. He's like, well, what do we need? I'd tell him what we need. He'd be like, make it so. Never once did he ever threaten my job. What I found is that when you refuse unsafe work, what you do is you open up a conversation. And then that conversation addresses the, the hazards that are going on. You find solutions, you control them, and the job still gets done. So the right to refuse unsafe work actually means that you're still going to get your job done, but in a better way because you control those hazards. 
Mm. But we, we get these feelings that like, oh, I got to push through. I got don't have enough time or I have to get to this other place I got to go to or my boss is going to freak on me or whatever the case when that's really never the reality. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I, th- I think of the truckers that are like pressing through the night to get that freight to wherever it needs to be. And they're driving tired or they're bending the rules on the logbook or like whatever. Every every industry has them. You know, people that are, you know, I, I don't need to provide all these examples. People can use their imagination. Yeah. But yeah, we, we imagine these things like we're going to pay for it uh, with our employment. Uh, but how many people realize you could pay for it with your life? Yeah. Right. My, my very first trip out of the hospital, um, I got a really good friend of mine who was on our crew and I had him take me to the house where I was injured and it was so hard to go and see that house, but I had to see it because I had to know that that rush job was so important that it managed to get burned and rebuilt faster than I could get out of the hospital and sold again. Like that's, there was no importance on that job. That was that great to sacrifice someone's safety or ability or life. I want to let that sit for a second. Okay. Um, Kelly, two new books. You don't mess around. You, you, you release them two at a time. Uh, I don't know which one to ask you about first. You've got Grits, Guts, and Courage. And then let, let me go with this one because the title is amazing. Uh, Do you want to stay in your poopy diaper? The question that changed a newly divorced woman's life. Tell us about this book. That's right. Well, you know, I, I did end up getting married and I did end up uh, getting a divorce, what, 14 years ago. And I remember signing my divorce papers and I went home and I cried for like two days. And I was like, I text my best friend. I said, why am I still crying? Like I wanted the divorce. I don't want the guy back. Like what is going on? And she said to me, do you want to stay in your poopy diaper? And I said, no. (laughs) And she goes, okay, well, let me help you. And so she asked me six questions. And those are the questions that stopped me from crying and helped me to move through my divorce. And so that book is a parable based on the six questions that my friend asked me. And it's available on Amazon. So okay. I was going to ask where people can get it. They can also check out kellyflardo.com. Um, and I'm going to, uh, and, and obviously we'll put that in the show notes so people can find it. Um, how about the other one? Tell us about okay. this one. This is a beautiful new book. I love that the title is beautifully designed, Grit, Guts, and Courage. Yeah. So that is actually a compilation book that I did with 30 other people. So wow, on the back, yeah, you'll see, see all that. the different yeah. authors. And basically what I did is I interviewed them. And I had them talk about a story of of grit, guts, and courage and what they had to go through and and how that they got through it. And so then we we made a podcast out of it. We've made a book and it's actually now a speech of mine. So I'll I'll go to, you know, companies and conferences and women's events and talk about grit, guts, and courage. Amazing. Uh, People can buy that book on Amazon Amazon as well. Is that where you recommend it? Is it any local bookshops? If people are- No, not yet. Okay, not yet. We're going to get that book in there. I want to thank Nude for their donation of $50 Fifty dollars uh, donation that'll go. What, what is your chair? By the way, I, I should let people know that obviously, if they want uh, a resource, the International Association of Firefighters has good uh, awareness out on International uh, Burn Awareness Week. There are obviously also resources in your local communities. But but are the two of you collaborating on a charity? Yes, we yeah. both uh, are with the Edmonton Firefighter Burn Treatment Society. Okay, good. Uh, the easy way to get there is EF 
efbts.ca efbts.ca okay and, and, and that's where we'll be making this donation on behalf of the real talk audience yeah um and, and obviously real talk will top that up as well and we're, we're proud uh, to support it this is a good question from audience member that says um i, I want to show my uh five-year-old daughter something to educate her about fire and burns what would your guests suggest he by the way goes on uh, says i saw spencer at nate and thank you for what you do um is there a good resource uh for, for parents of younger kids uh, that, you, that you might recommend? The firefighters actually every year put out a book for children. It's a coloring book that does help them um, and it also supports the charity, but it helps educate people on, on burns. Honestly, if you Google uh, anything about fire safety or burn awareness, you will find the, the different types of burns. So one of the types of burns, if I could give you a camel camel here, yeah. Ryan has these wood matches in his green room, <laughs> yeah. which if you play with, will give you the most common burn that you oh, could get. Which I should have put the matches away today. <laughs> Which is a thermal burn. Oh, no. Of course. Of yeah. course we have matches. You know, most yeah. people think it's really cool that we have wood matches, but it is a bit of a tough look today, isn't oh, it? Oh, no. I looked at it. I'm like, this is oh, actually going to go in my office have, and sit there. You have one be, of my favorite yeah. senses of humor of all time. Uh, yeah, Spencer, I should let people know this has nothing to do with anything, but you, you showed up and presented us with a bottle of Hawaiian rum today. So you you were already in the good books, but now but now you, you've skyrocketed to the top of our list of favorites. And that's a top shelf from just so you know yeah, well, yeah. i have no doubt about <laughs> yeah. that uh, but, but yeah but in all seriousness like you know i mean we I, I think of little things like 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 leaving a pack of matches out in the house or like leaving a lighter out or just anything i mean yours was a chemical burn or pardon me not technically a chemical burn but it caused it was a chemical fire yeah. a chemical fire yeah. right but i mean it's just like there's a million different ways that that people can sustain these these injuries and i, I just think it's so uh, important and so valuable that the two of you are here keeping this stuff on our radar. Well, let's ask that question. So the most common way a child will get burned is a thermal burn, and that will be from hot water in the kitchen, hot right. liquids, yeah. around a campfire or fireworks. Those are the three top fireworks. Ways. Oh, and hot water, uh, hot bath water. Yes. So always test the bath water as well. But um, if you do um, happen to have a child that is burned, the very best thing you can do is put them under cold water for up to 20 minutes because once you get burned, uh, and you remove that heat source, that heat is still with you and it's still actually doing damage. So you need to remove that heat and then you're gonna remove it with cold water and you can uh, greatly reduce the degree of burn and the trauma the child's gonna go through or anyone's gonna go through by just removing the heat. What happened, may I ask, may I revisit the story of that that fateful day and when, when, when the paramedics or fire showed, whoever showed up first, um, what did they immediately do for you? Uh, look me in the eye and permanently etch a memory that is, holy shit, you're not going to make it. Really? Yeah, that was burnt into my memory. Um, but they, is, there, is there immediate treatment? Like like you talk about the cooling, the cold water, the yeah. sun, or, or no, is it just get you right to the IC, right to the hospital? So the fire was actually put out on me by the neighbor next door who had his hose and he sprayed me down. They okay. were talking to 911 at the same time. I was screaming to still spray me down because I knew that I still had this heat. That was about the only thing I did know that the heat was still there because I could feel it. But uh, with between 911 and all the people around in the crowd, they thought it would be best to stop spraying me down, which is actually the worst thing they could have done to help me. Um, but when the paramedics came, their biggest thing was to control the pain. They started to uh, put heavy medication into me. Yes. And to get me to the hospital as fast as possible. Yeah. Ken says he's just made a donation directly to the Edmonton Firefighters Burn Treatment Society. He says, uh, Spencer had me at hello. So there you go. <laughs> well, <laughs> <What are> the... <laughs> 
He has that effect. One, on one of the great girl. movie quotes of all time, I think. Well, if it makes any difference, uh, in high school, Kelly, I also didn't have any boyfriends, so I didn't have anybody at Hello in high school. Oh, there you <laughs> so, go. Yeah. There you go. Uh, I just, uh, I just have so much uh, adoration um, and respect for the both of you. I've been privileged yeah. to call you both friends for a long time, and I'm grateful for your advocacy and for your willingness to to come hang out with this audience and, and put this stuff on our radar. Um, we wrap every, this, you know, this is our weekly tradition, our real talk round table. We always like to wrap with kind of, uh, it could be a call to action. It could be something to ruminate or think of, maybe share a mantra, whatever it is. Um, but something for this audience yeah. to walk with through the weekend. You want to go first, Kelly? Yeah, I want to share something. Um, you know, I never ever thought I would have boyfriends or anything, you know, when I grew up, you know, in high school. And what's really funny is it's, it's a cool story. Um, I am with a guy from high school. So I said to him, I said, you know what, after 38 years, you finally asked me to ask me out. And it's just so funny that we have this cool little story because I never, ever thought I'd, I'd have, you know, someone from high school. Yeah. But, um, and he's a handsome devil too. I know. Isn't he? Yeah. He's he kind of, he's hanging out. Johnny, if we take our wife, I don't know if you can see him right there in the back. <laughs> he's trying to get out of the way of the camera there, but he had some fella. There you go. <laughs> but it's just a, it's a funny story. And, you know, someone asked me about hope and, that to me is what hope is all about. We don't always know what's going to happen in our lives. And, you know, we all need to have that hope that we can have a better life. And so one of my famous quotes that I always say to people is dreams are meant to be found, not tucked away in dreamland. Hmm. So if you have a dream, you got to go for it. And don't let anybody stop you from having your dreams. I didn't know that this was going to be my life, that I'd be a speaker and author and coaching people to write books. Um, but it has been, and, it, and it's been great seeing people get their stories out there. Beautifully said, Kelly. Oh, thank you for that. Oh, thank and you. to you, my man, last word. Well, one of the messages we share with the kids, I'll share with you. Uh, when I was dark and deep and depressed, uh, I came, I've come to really appreciate that my eyes were looking the wrong way. And what they were doing is my eyes were turned around and they were examining everything in my life that had changed. And honestly, I didn't like anything I saw. I was uh, independent. I was number two on the crew. I was respected. I was a skilled tradesperson. I was good looking. I had beautiful hair and, you know, big dimples and hands that worked and, you know, nice skin. And it all changed really quick. But uh, when my daughter was born, which is my biggest regret is I missed the birth of my daughter. It's my only regret. I missed the birth of my daughter because mm -hmm. that's your happiest day. Sure. And uh, so I, I'll, I'll never have a happiest day. Right. But uh, the day after she was born, they brought her into the burn unit and uh, so I could meet her because they would have done anything to cheer me up. Yeah. And they laid her in my arms. I was so weak. I couldn't even hold my daughter. So they raised the bed up, bed railing up and uh, laid her in my arms. And when she laid in my arms, a miracle happened. And that little baby girl somehow managed to turn my eyes around. And she stopped me from looking inside and started to get me to look outside. And when I looked outside of myself, I saw my wife. I saw this baby girl that needed a dad. I saw my friends and family that were fighting so hard for me. I saw this best burn unit in all of Canada, third best burn unit in North America, here in Edmonton with these dedicated, knowledgeable, and skillful professionals fighting so hard for me. I saw all these people that uh, were trying so hard for me that uh, turning my eyes around gave me something to fight for. And sometimes when your eyes are looking inside, you may not like what you're seeing but if you look outside i guarantee you, you will see people in your life worth fighting for and i don't care what it is that you find to fight for when you're going through hardship in life but once you find it grab onto it and fight because you don't you 
five years later can stop and turn around and look back at those dark days and go, I never saw this outcome. Unbelievable. You can check out Spencer uh, online if you'd like to book him for a speaking engagement uh, or connect with him in any way at spencerspeaks.ca. And uh, geez, this has nothing to do with anything. Isn't that funny? The the, the minute that I share my screen, my weekly screen time report comes up and shows how many hours I spend in front of a screen so the audience can see it. That's no good. We don't (laughs) want that happening. I'm not looking for that type of introspection right now. Spencerspeaks.ca. And and then, of course, we have Kelly's website as well uh, listed in our show notes. I love both of you. And thank you for doing this. And I'm so very proud. Uh, to call you friends and and to have you accept me as a friend and a supporter. And I want to thank our audience for a big outpouring of support as well. And, and we'll be happy to make a, a donation there uh, as part of Burn Awareness Week. Uh, you can send us your thoughts on this. Uh, I guarantee, obviously, we know for a fact that the story of these two is going to resonate with many of you. You're telling us as much and just wait till the podcast drops. Uh, <laughs> talk at RyanJesperson.com or you can use our hashtag to connect with us. That's Real Talk RJ. Thank you for being here. You know, every time we do this stuff, you're one of the first people that we reach out to. Hmm. So I want to thank you for being such a huge supporter for us. Always count on it. You bet. That's Kelly Flardo and Spencer Beach. Uh, coming up in just a second, we're going to bust out our... Oh, geez. During the show, this Spencer brings up the matches, and then I'm like, are they sticking around for the flamethrower? This because is a segment called the flamethrower. The segment we should have moved to. For fuck's sake. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know what? Hey, at least oh, you two are laughing man. about it. If there's any hockey team name that could be the worst, it's the Flames. The Calgary Flames. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Those are the games you're skipping, eh? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I love you guys. Thanks for doing this. Love you too, Ryan. All right, so uh, the, the segment formerly known as Trash Talk, will air in just a second nice, <laughs> nice. yeah there you go there you go uh first i wanted to to let you know uh of course as well about how grateful we are for the sponsorship that we have here again that's spencerspeaks.ca that's spencer's website we're showing you and uh, in the meantime for those of you that you know we're talking about uh employers we're talking about employment opportunities our friends at apex automation right now are putting out the call to skilled engineers uh, in town, engineers and technicians anywhere in Canada right now, they're growing their team for work in Alberta, Saskatchewan, BC. They've just opened a field office down in Texas. Uh, they're t- we're talking electrical instrumentation engineering, process engineering. Heck, if you're an expert in drafting services, if you know what HMI programming and integration is, I mean, it's all Greek to me, but if you know, you know. And if you know automation, you know the name Apex. They're growing their company at an incredible rate, and you can be part of that movement. You can check out the careers link today at apexautomation.ca. Now, if that's maybe getting a little ahead and you're going, well, hang on a second, though. I've still got some skills I got to pick up. I got some schooling I got to do. Athabasca University is ready for you. There is an AU advantage. As a matter of fact, there's a whole bunch of them that you can read about on their website, AthabascaU.ca. But by choosing AthabascaU as your post-secondary institution, you're going to benefit from their commitment to flexible study options, accessibility for students around the world, personalized learning plans, and a totally supportive supportive community. You can apply today. Learn more about the AU experience by visiting athabascau.ca. We also wanted to mention, speaking of hiring, our friends at Kubi Renewable Energy, you know, they literally, this is an amazing position for a company to be in. They never stop hiring. They are always hiring. 
at Kubi Energy. So whether you're an installer with experience in solar, uh, maybe you're an electrician, you, you got your ticket, or you're an apprentice, you've never worked in solar, but you're intrigued by the future of it. If you're an office manager, a salesperson, any type of skill set that a growing company could use, Kubi's interested in hearing from you. You can check out the careers link at Kubi Renewable Energy. And before we get to the flamethrower, our friends at California Closets want to remind you that we're now into February, my friends, and those New Year's resolutions around decluttering and getting organized, well, now it's time for that rubber to hit the road. Nobody does custom closets and storage solutions better than California Closets, including, I just love those Murphy beds. My buddies, I've told you about Dustin and Amy and St. Albert, they hired California Closets to turn their home office into a guest room. You'd never know that the Murphy bed was even even there and it folds down without them having to take anything off the shelves. I mean, I'm just so impressed by it. I asked him, how did it price out? He said 35% less than the next closest quote. You can get a free design consultation today at californiaclosets.ca. Pretty unbelievable duo, hey, Spencer and Kelly. Oh man, I, I was uh, I was I was there with you getting choked up during this this whole and I love I love when our round tables hit like this on a Friday because sometimes you get like even yesterday we we had a rough day here at the studio things get busy and then you know a bunch of our friends get fired and every it, it just reminds us how lucky we are. Yeah man. If if you've got all your limbs, if you got people who love you, if you've if you're employed, if you're making it by and I know a lot of us are just scraping by but like this really puts life into perspective, especially Spencer talking at the end there yeah. about how, Wasn't you, that know, amazing? you know, a lot of us tend to think really inside. We're inside our head a lot. We think about how we look, how we act, how we're perceived, how we look online. Social media drives us insane. And then something happens to you that totally changes your perspective and lets you know what's really important. And sometimes, well, like you said, a lot of us will get burned, but sometimes we go through life just kind of lucky, not having one of those huge impacts on our life. So we need people like Spencer and like Kelly here today to just remind us, man, life isn't as bad as you think it is when isn't you wake up the in the truth, morning man. and your hair doesn't look right or, yeah. you know, your, your car's running a little ragged. Like, there's much more important things going on. Uh, beautifully said, Johnny. I love this from Dennis who says, great show today. He says, I needed this. You know what? I, I honestly feel like sometimes our shows are going to find the people that need them when they need them and you never know. I mean, we're recording this, you know, early to mid-February of 2024. People will watch this. I mean, we see uh, uptick on a lot of our episodes a year, two years, three years later and I believe that this episode will find people when they need to be found uh, every week uh, as we wrap up our episode courtesy of our friends at the dairy queens of northwest <laughs> edmonton and sure this is so funny this is like you want to talk about dark humor and how about spencer having a real laugh about it and i love that you? i have what's the very first thing when spencer walks in the studio with the very first thing he sees is a huge bowl of matches like <laughs> jesperson what do you oh, but anyway the segment formerly known as trash talk it's courtesy of our friends at the dqs in palisades nemeo newcastle westmount and baseline road this is a chance for you to bring the heat to give us your hottest takes we want to hear what you have to say what all of canada needs to say it's the flamethrower presented by the dqs of northwest edmonton in sherwood park i love this one from lecky who writes in and says jess well, i know that you haven't touched a lot on this yeah but the the, the latest issue that has me the most triggered is Calgary City Council's recent decision to repeal that much-needed single-use 
plastics bylaw after just two weeks based on the drama and the whining of a few immature crybabies. Remember that picture of Danielle Smith with the Canada Dry Ginger Ale and the big straw coming out of it? Since I've lived in Calgary for over 10 years, the city is blanketed with single-use plastic trash every single spring. And anybody who thinks that they're bringing their own bag or paying 15 cents qualifies as some sort of an injustice worth freaking out over truly lives in a delusional fantasy. Perhaps they will experience true injustice someday, like, I don't know, suffering from cancer caused by cellular-level microplastics? <laughs> Lecky! Says, what hope is there for the future of the rich if the rich and privileged and entitled people of Calgary, Canada can't make even the tiniest sacrifices for planet Earth for their children, for their neighbors? I commend councillors Walcott, Penner, Kara, Mayan, and Gondek, the mayor, for having the courage to show true leadership and stand firm on the issue and shame on the rest of council for their embarrassing flip-flop. All right, if you're a regular tuner to the flamethrower, you know there's this, been this thing going back and forth between uh, Real Talkers Kyle and David. Kyle wrote in about a town hall he was at about the Alberta pension plan, and he talked about this whiny baby. He called him an NDP plant. He suggested the NDP put this guy in the room, this young kid, to turn the tide. And then we heard from David, who wrote in and said, I was that NDP plant, but I'm not a plant. Listen to last week's flamethrower if you want to hear it. And by the way, he said, baby, I'm 19 years old. Well, we got one back from Kyle. And before we go any further, I want to say we're not turning Flamethrower into some tit-for-tat back and forth where the two of you can argue all month long, unless it continues to entertain us. So this from Kyle, back to David, the baby NDP plant, but not really an NDP plant. He says, I happen to hear David calling me out on the show, and I feel, Ryan, like I deserve a chance to respond. Okay, Kyle. He says, David, yeah, that was me. And yes, I was talking about you. As someone who was volunteering for the NDP at the Ardrossan Town Hall, you were the plant. You were working for them. Uh, but no, you're not the baby I was referring to. There was like an actual physical baby in the place. Okay, Kyle. He goes, now I get it. You're 17 years old. I commend you for jumping into politics at a young age. Hey, David, I commend you for listening to Real Talk at 17. Smartest guy in your class. Kyle says, I started in politics when I was 14. 10 years ago. Kyle's 24. Says, yeah, I was working in the Model United Nations volunteering for the PCs under Stephen Harper. Uh, you mean the Conservative Party of Canada, of course. He says, I will always call people out. Like Take Back Alberta and like radical conservatives, just like I'll call out elitist liberals who don't have any real idea how the world works, but I especially love to call out people whose opinions are based solely on feelings and have no merit behind them, and I hope you will do the same. Actions speak louder than words. I challenge everyone, every real talker, says Kyle, to think long and hard about why certain people believe what they do. And let's try to be less polarized. Okay, Kyle, that's it. And this one from David, who says, Jess, I've been giving some thought to a matter that's increasingly relevant in our conversations today, the privilege of free speech and the importance of engaging in open debates involving uh, those, including what some might consider bad ideas. In many parts of the world, the right to openly discuss and debate various viewpoints, including controversial or unpopular ones, is severely restricted. This reality starkly contrasts with freedoms we enjoy, where we can explore a wide range of ideas in our discourse, but this freedom isn't just about expressing polarizing or popular or even widely accepted opinions. It also is about our ability to confront and debate ideas that are deemed unconventional or even 
challenging. Says there's the growing tendency in some circles to shut out conversations deemed uncomfortable or offensive. And while it's critical to maintain respect and consideration, it's equally important to remember that progress often comes from grappling with difficult and diverse viewpoints. Amen, David. He says, engaging with what some might call bad ideas is essential as it allows us to understand them, refute them with evidence and reason and strengthen our own arguments. This process is vital in a healthy, dynamic society. Without the freedom to challenge and debate all kinds of ideas, societies risk becoming echo chambers where innovation and critical thinking are stifled. He goes on to say, as individuals privileged with the right to free speech, it is our responsibility. It is our responsibility ability to talk about this we can help promote a culture where every voice is heard every idea is given its due consideration he says i would love to hear real talkers thoughts on this how do we balance the need for respectful discourse with the necessity of engaging with all kinds of ideas even those we strongly disagree with how can we use our privilege of free speech to foster a more open and thoughtful society david my favorite email of the week Thanks for writing into the flamethrower to talk at ryanjesperson.com. We accept your emails 24-7. And, of course, all of this presented by the DQs of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. Friends, we'll see you Sunday at the cabin on Jasper Avenue for the Super Bowl. Go Chiefs. Go Taylor's boyfriend. And we'll be right back here live Monday, 830 Mountain Time or later on demand. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson. Executive producer, Josh Dunford. Technical producer, John Hicks. General manager, Katie Cook-Chivers. Account coordinator, Lawrence Durlego. Human resources, Lena Shepard. Website design, Mike Johnston. Voiceover by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Supriya Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandi Morin, Ann Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Soto, and Nakota Sioux, home to the Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is a relay project. For more, check out ryanjasperson.com.